Um, we're 37 weeks, if you're counting, and I wasn't until I had to figure out how many weeks we were into the sermon series that we're in right now. 37 weeks into this story of the Bible, hitting, you could call it the highlights, uh, you could even call it the lowlights, the things that are struggling. Thanks, Ethan. Appreciate it. And we're down to four weeks, only four more weeks to go, and we're going to we're going to kind of speed through almost the rest of the New Testament, you could say. Today is going to be Jesus commissioning his disciples. Uh, next week, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. The week after that, Paul is transformed uh, in, in, uh, to, to who we know him as. From Saul, the persecutor of Christians, to Paul, the church father that authored much of the epistles. And then we get a vision of heaven, and that's it. And then we're, we're done. So that gives you an idea of where we're going and, and how far we've come and just a little bit that we have to go. So grab your Bible or your Bible app, and we're going we're gonna to head straight to Luke 24. And we're going to look at verses 44 through 50-something, 3. And he said to him, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he, Jesus, opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he led him out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Last week, we saw that the women were the first ones to the tomb, and they were were frightened. They They were fearful. They... They thought someone stole Jesus' body, but then the dazzling men appeared and said, no, he is risen. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? That fear carried over into the disciples, and they'd stay in these rooms locked up just by themselves. Some of it legitimate fear. There would be fear that the followers of Jesus would be gathered all up, and they would be crucified and killed to end whatever movement had started. But that doesn't stop Jesus, as we heard in that story. He comes in, uh, even with the doors locked, because his body is not like ours. His, his body is a uh, glorified body. It's not bound by the same things we are. It doesn't get sick like the, the way we are. And, and, and Jesus comes in, and he asks for some leftovers, but that's not his own point. His point wasn't just to eat and show him his body. His point was to do something more, to give them a 
grander understanding of Scripture so that they could see everything throughout Scripture that had come to this point and found its fulfillment in Jesus as the Messiah. And so he opened their minds so they could understand Scripture. And the word Scripture here, it means, you know, it's not, the, it's not this. They didn't have a book that they walked around with. Not even, they didn't even have really like, a, you know, the Old Testament that they just walked around with. It hadn't been solidified at that point, right? Uh, but they did have Scriptures that they would read and that they would follow. They wouldn't have their personal copy, but they would hear it at the temple and, and they would read it. And so Jesus was taking time to let them understand what is it in the Old Testament that led to him? Because the suffering Messiah was not what they had planned on. So Jesus needed to open their minds so they could see in the book of Isaiah that the Messiah was going to be one who suffered. He reminds them what's going to happen too. Here he told them that it's written that the Messiah will suffer. So maybe he was saying something about Isaiah 42, that uh, the Messiah would be one who was, was going to be bruised, and yet he wouldn't break. Maybe it's from Isaiah 53, a passage that, that we perhaps know, that he would be pierced for our transgressions. So they would be maybe understanding of what actually had taken place, and that what Jesus did was not something completely separate from Scripture, but that God had written all about it already. And that Jesus was fulfilling what was written about him already. So that they would know that, okay, yes, this is not a new thing. This is a continuation of what God had already been doing. And we, we take that, that promise of what God had been already doing, that promise of the Messiah, and then Jesus includes the disciples into that. If we remember back, I think it was like 33 weeks ago. Anyone remember? No, that's okay. I will remind you. Uh, 33 weeks ago, somewhere around then, we talked about this guy named Abram. This, this man who was in a different country, Ur of the Chaldeans, and God spoke to him and said, hey, I want you to leave your family, leave everyone, you and Sarah, and come and, and go to the land I will show you. I've chosen you, and I've chosen you that you would be a blessing through the nations. Blessing to all the nations is actually the way it is. That he would be a blessing to all the nations. And so now the disciples are invited into that promise which God had made. That promise which is back in Genesis chapter 12 comes back in this passage because right there on verse 47, it's almost the entire purpose of this church is to be those people who are blessing the nations by proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins to all nations. Genesis chapter 12 his nation is going to be a blessing to all nations here in Luke 24. It's not just the Jewish people that are going to be a blessing to all nations. It's all people who carry along with them this message of forgiveness of sins, of repentance, of reconciliation to God. 
So Jesus opens their minds to see how this is a continuation of the blessing that was promised earlier in the Scriptures. That God would bless the nations through people. And so the disciples, as witnesses to these things, are invited into a life where they will bless the nations by beginning in Jerusalem and preaching the word, preaching the gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the idea that you have a restored relationship with God all because of what God has done. Kind of a fulfillment, you could say, of a section of Isaiah 56 that talks about salvation coming to the foreigners and the outsiders, those people who are outside of Israel. A message that blesses all of those who hear. And it's supposed to be their life goal, you could say. Verse 47 is this transition that says this is the purpose of every person who is a Christ follower, who has been witness of these things. And I'm not just talking about seeing them with your hands, but hearing them with, seeing them with your hands, seeing them with your eyes. That's what I really meant. Uh, It is hearing them as well, that if we have heard this message of repentance and reconciliation, that we too are charged with sharing that message with others. And not just sharing it, but living it out. But we're among good company because the disciples didn't get it. They still didn't get it right away. And they weren't going to get it because Jesus said, wait here until you will have what my Father has promised, which we know that to be what we will talk about next week, which is Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming upon the apostles. But the disciples up until that point, even after the the, uh, Spirit came upon them, they didn't understand A pastor and uh, commentary writer, Fred Craddock, says it this way, the disciples did not understand and behave from the beginning. It took repeated revelations and prodding by the Holy Spirit for the apostles to realize that God accepts every nation of those who turn to God. Jesus knew that neither the message nor the universal offer would the natural inclinations of his followers. First, they weren't ready to uh, preach the crucified and risen Messiah. And then they're not ready to look favorably on an audience from all nations. To put ourselves in the mind of the disciples, it was always Israel. Israel alone that was worshiping God. The Messiah was to come for Israel alone and everyone else was going to be under this idea of judgment. It was only the Israelites that were to be saved. But Jesus came and said, no, you are going to be a blessing to the nations. The disciples were not sure if they were ready to accept people who were not Jewish into the community without distinction. And and what we find out is they needed to be empowered by the Spirit and receive continual 
prompting by the Spirit to speak to them, to say, no, these distinctions are not important. Because later on, we, we could read, well, are they supposed to follow all the Mosaic law? I think they should follow all the Mosaic law. To be accepted, you've got to follow the Mosaic law before you're accepted, and the Spirit's like, no. Okay, you don't need to. Okay, and then they're like, well, what about circumcision? That's kind of an important thing. That was what, you know, we had Abram and all the people who followed. That was kind of a, a distinctive point, and the Spirit's like, no. Well, what about the food we eat? We have certain food that, that we're not supposed to eat. We're not supposed to eat pork. and we're not, Are the people supposed to do that? And the Spirit says, no, because there's not a distinction anymore. If they want to follow Christ, uh, what Paul writes is, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, for all have become one in Christ. There's none of these distinctions anymore because of what Christ has done. But here's the thing, Craddock's quote actually continues, continues like this. After 20 centuries of preaching the crucified Christ, accepting people equally in front of the Lord has continued to be a haunting, a problem, haunting the corners of the church. Accepting people equally in front of the Lord has been a continued problem haunting the corners of the church. We struggle with it. But don't we need to do this first? But while they're doing that, I don't know if that's appropriate. Can they be accepted to Jesus in the way that they're living? Can they they be doing that? And, and, And we try to come up with these same things that it's we needing the power of the Spirit to recognize what Christ's message was for us, one of repentance and reconciliation and that if someone turns and trusts in Jesus name then they are too counted among one whom follows Christ it is not our works it is not what we do that causes us to be followed or to be following Christ Sure, those might be fruit of the Spirit that come out of our relationship with God, but to be accepted by Jesus, all it takes is a faith and a trust saying, I'm going to turn away from however I was living before, and I will follow you and you alone. All that outside noise, all of those other things must go away when we turn and we follow just Him alone, emphasizing God's grace to us. An undeserved favor. There's nothing I can do in my life that would make me worthwhile of receiving what God has given, but because of his amazing and outpouring love, he gives you the gift of salvation just by trusting in Jesus. And that's the message that we, as followers of Christ, as those who have received his mercy and his grace, are to preach to others. And it takes the power of the Spirit to be able to do it. We 
We, Emily mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago, ago about the, the spirits movement in the church of Iran and how the church of Iran is booming. And one of the ways that they are booming is that they are continually praying, asking God to show them the person that they need to share Christ with. And, and they, they pray and they go out and every conversation they have is an opportunity to disciple someone closer to Christ. And I think it's amazing that the Church of Iran has leaders that largely most churches in America would say, I don't think they're fit for ministry. Because the primary leaders that are in Iran are former, like, drug dealers. They're former Shia Muslims who would go on and they would, they're like Saul, they would persecute Christians and they would want to kill them. But now they are the ones who are, are promoting Christ. God using the people who have had bad experience in life, those who we would have counted among the chief of sinners, you could say, and he's using them to be a part of this grand movement where more and more and more people come to know Jesus as their Savior each and every day by the power, not of themselves, not of what they are doing, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus said he's going to send to all the disciples so that they, too, may know and experience and be empowered for what God is calling them to I am going to send you what my Father has promised. We know what that is. That is that's the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit's going to be that continuing presence in the lives of the believers that is going to be guiding the church. That's going to be leading the church. It's going to be reminding the church of the teaching. It's going to be conforming people to Christ. Helping them understand what is important And it's the Spirit that says those things. No, circumcision. No, you don't need to follow all the Mosaic law. No, you don't need to eat certain foods. Yes, Gentiles. Yes, the Greeks. Yes, everyone and anyone who believes in Jesus. And what we do in in this world right now is we take the central message of who Christ is and what He lives for we take that basic content of Jesus coming to earth to die, to take our place, to rise again, to restore our relationship with God. We begin there and we share it in whatever manner we're able to in the culture that we live. Using stories and anecdotes that would be perhaps familiar to us. Using language that is is familiar in the way that we would talk to one another. The bridging of gospel to the way we talk in life is this important thing that we can effectively communicate what this book from 2,000 years ago communicates to us. To share the good news that we have been restored not by our own work, not by striving harder, not by making for money, not by reading our Bible more, even though that's a great thing. That's not what counts. What counts is believing in Christ, the core of the message. As long as we as 
God's followers can embrace grace of God that's found in trusting in Jesus for salvation, we're preaching the gospel. We can speak of repenting when considering where we start and when we convert, when we, when we say, I was moving this way, but no, now I'm going to move towards Christ. That's great. That is the gospel. We can speak of, of that change of direction. We can speak of faith in, in Jesus Christ as the object of our hope. That is the gospel. We can speak of receiving Jesus into our life and, and beginning that personal relationship with him. The, the appropriation of our faith towards God, that is that is the gospel. We can, we can speak of confession and, and, and confessing our own sins personally in the ways that we have, have hurt the message of Christ. That is the gospel. All of these things highlight the saving fact that Jesus Christ is the core of salvation. That he, that those who trust in him will be forgiven no matter what it was and that Jesus by his grace will enfold you and bring you into a relationship with him there are so many different ways that you can talk about that and it, and it all starts just at the foot of the cross it's where the journey always starts knowing there is God who sent down his son to die for us that we could have a relationship with him, be indwelt by the Spirit, and be continually transformed in our life to look more and more and more like the person of Jesus. I could end the sermon there, but I'm not. Because I think there's another aspect to what God does in our life and Yuko kind of mentioned it in his prayer himself that there's all of creation groaning for change. And we can look at, at salvation as this purely individualistic thing that we do on our own, but that's not the whole entire. There is a communal and earthly property that is among what Christ has done. And so we're going to think we're going to think about world transformation in the sense of communal sin. I'm going to read uh, a quote from N.T. Wright. It was written 20 years ago. But think about how poignant it is even to today, 20 years later after the writing. Today's world is full of disputes large and small, only a few of which get into the newspapers. Nations, ethnic groups, political factions, tribes, and economic alliances struggle for supremacy. Each can tell stories of the atrocities committed by their opponents. Each one claims that they, therefore, have the right to the moral high ground and must be allowed redress revenge, satisfaction. But as anyone who has studied the complicated history of the Middle East, Rwanda, or Northern Ireland will know, 
it is simply not possible to give an account of conflict in which one side is responsible for all the evil and the other side is a completely innocent victim. The only way forward is the one where we all find, which we all find hardest at every level. Repentance and forgiveness. In many ways, when, when we begin that journey, even individualistically at the foot of the cross, we never come to the foot of the cross as an innocent victim of whatever's happening in our life. We all believe that we are sinful by nature, and it's only by the grace of God that he accepts us. And in the same way, when we think about our communal life, our life as a community here, our life as a, a city, a suburb of Grand Rapids, the life of the people in Grand Rapids, the life of the people in the state of Michigan, the life of the people in the United States of America or, or North America or the Western Hemisphere or wh- however you want to distinguish this. The Spirit gives us the ability to recognize even when we as an entire community have fallen short but we've just blinded our eyes, played ourselves off as a victim, saying that the other people are the problem. Where is it that we need to invite the Spirit in our life to effect change, public, perhaps, repentance? What are the things that we ourselves or our country our nation participate in that don't honor Christ. I have a list of things that I came up with, but maybe you can come up with your own. Maybe it's not respecting and honoring past presidents. Maybe it's focusing on and dishonoring current ones. That hits about, could hit about everybody, depending on where you are. Is it ignoring the plight of poor people in our own country? Is it confessing that we have been too focused on ourselves to really understand and experience or even think about what it would be to have a life in someone else's shoes? Is it that we are too focused on our own country and the news in our own country that we are completely oblivious to the other experiences and atrocities that are happening around the world. In Syria, Nigeria, Hong Kong, Myanmar, mainland China, in Iran. Is it that we have shown too much allegiance to one party over top of our allegiance to Christ? Do we need to confess our reception and reaction to economic structures which has lifted up some and pushed others down? Recognizing that there are different workers that are often taken advantage of. Do we need to confess our assumptions and reactions to people who have different lives than our own? Do we need to confess our willingness to always deflect 
blame onto someone else so that we can remain unscathed. That's something that we learn from a very early age, if you've ever had kids. And it continues into adulthood. For us to be in this mission, rooted and grounded, that we would declare repentance, that we would declare forgiveness of sins in our life, it must include the communal life as a whole body of Christ. It has to include our communal shortcomings even within our own history that we may never have been involved in. I think of the story where the Israelites just rediscovered scriptures and read the Torah. And then they spent a whole day lamenting things that their ancestors, people that they hadn't even Uh, maybe even known very well because they were so far removed from where they were in the current time period, but they were lamenting the way that their ancestors lived. Maybe that's an example for us. The only way forward as a follower of Christ is the hardest way at every level, N.T. Wright says. It's repentance and forgiveness. And I think we saw uh, an example of it. I was only, I think, 17 or so when, when this started. But the nation of South Africa, for a long time period, was under apartheid. You could call it segregation. Segregating people in specific spots and, and not allowing intermarriage, not allowing interaction in between. And through, uh, through the Reconciliation, Truth and Reconciliation Commission under Archbishop Desmond Tutu, they gathered together to have over 1,000 public hearings to display and talk about the violations of human rights and the atrocities that had happened. Because the only way forward is confession. The only way forward is forgiveness. It's an example for us to think about when we think of all those other areas that we name. Areas where we have may have been a part of that communal sin. But we're not left to do it alone. Because Jesus said, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. He's going to send us the spirit that comes into our lives that gives us that uncomfortable feeling in our life where we need to confess something. And we can do one of two things with it. We can feel uncomfortable and we can try to slough it off and push it away and and not address it and then that'll be something that we, we deal with our entire life or we can recognize what we have done, the part that we have played and confess to God. Because he's going to give us power for the new tasks that he's going to bring our way. That difficult, long task of continually being formed and shaped by the Spirit, recognizing more and more each day how much more we need to be at the foot of the cross. 
because we're not living up to his standards. Can we join the disciples? Can we join with our brothers and sisters in Christ on this long, slow, hard road of reconciliation and forgiveness? Will you join with me? Let's go to God in prayer. God, we've not always gotten it right in the history of the church, even. Even in the history of the church, we've, we've had people that have taken, taken power and tried to run things the way they wanted to rather than following your Spirit's guidance. There's been ways where we've tried to profit from the church by saying you can have your sins forgiven if you give a certain amount of money. Lord, we, we confess that we too have, haven't gotten it right in the last hundred years where one of the ways that we would make people right is have them come up in front of church and confess their sin into, in front of everyone else as this sign of shame. But then we say we would accept them after the fact. We've often, Lord, held, withheld your saving grace from those who truly need it. We recognize that we sometimes are slow to offer forgiveness and reconciliation because we wonder in, in our mind, well, I don't know, are they, truly, are they truly repentant of what they've done? Lord, we repent how we try to shame people into submission. We confess how we've ignored the plight of the poor and thought in our minds that they could just pull themselves up by their bootstraps if they just worked a little harder and did a little bit more. All the while, Lord, we recognize that you've never asked us to do the same. You've never said that salvation in, in your eyes was contingent on us attaining a certain level and doing an amount of certain things. Instead, you offer it freely and graciously to us, something that is undeserved in our lives. Lord, we recognize how many churches often stayed silent in the 1960s when the nation was grappling with segregation and racialized issues. We confess we weren't willing to step out of our own shoes to understand that perhaps we, we weren't willing to put our, our life on the line for our black brothers in Christ. And for that we, we confess. Lord, we confess that even now today, tensions run so high we confess when we, when we speak so quickly, not even 
thinking about the words that we say, and we cause others to be hurt in the process. We confess that we often demonize the side of the government that we don't agree with. We flippantly post memes, thinking that's beneficial. Lord, we pray that your spirit would come into all of these areas of our life and renew us. Renew us for the mission that you've given us, both communally and individually, that we would follow you and declare Christ sovereign over everything, even the hidden corners of our own lives, that we could trust you more fully, and that you could, in some way, use us as sinful people to further your message that more and more people throughout this nation would be blessed by a relationship with Christ. And even more, Lord, we pray that you would use us to bring blessings to all nations, that all nations would come to know you as sovereign and Lord, that we could come over your leadership and listen to your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.